Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. In late September, the government of Ethiopia expelled seven top UN officials from the country. This move came just days before the government launched a new military offensive against the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF. As I record this, the offensive is ongoing. The federal government and the TPLF have been at war for nearly a year after armed conflict erupted in November 2020 in the northern Ethiopian region of Tigray. At the heart of this conflict is a power struggle between the TPLF and the federal government under the control of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. I have done previous episodes of this podcast that more comprehensively explains the roots of this power struggle, and I strongly recommend you take a listen to those. But for the purposes of this episode, let me briefly explain that for nearly 30 years, the TPLF was the dominant force in the federal government of Ethiopia. When Abiy Ahmed came to power in 2018, he effectively sidelined the TPLF within the federal government. However, in the Tigray region from which the TPLF emerged, it still remains a political force and has its own very well-armed military. Initially, the federal government of Ethiopia, with the help of Eritrea and militias from neighboring Amara region, pushed back the TPLF forces and evicted them from key cities like the regional Tigray capital, Mekele. But over the summer, the TPLF launched a successful counteroffensive, winning back the territory it lost and gaining territory beyond the Tigray region. And it is in that context that the federal government and its allies have launched this new military offensive in early October. And it is here that we pick up the story with William Davison, Senior Analyst for Ethiopia at the International Crisis Group. We kick off discussing the expulsion of these UN staff before having a broader conversation about how this conflict has evolved and its ongoing calamitous humanitarian impact. As always, please feel free to get in touch with me if there's anything on your mind. If you have suggestions of people you'd like me to interview or topics you'd like me to cover, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Thank you. And now here is my conversation with William Davison of the International Crisis Group, whom I caught up with from Nairobi. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
my understanding it's almost an unprecedented move in terms of this um you know sweeping expulsion of of seven senior staff UN staff oh it is one- it is from a UN perspective I mean I've covered the UN for 15 years nothing like this has happened right right exactly um and I think of course it's hard to be certain about you know, exactly what might have um really driven these expulsions uh, we know the government's um allegations um that these officials had you know been Ethiop- meddling in, in Ethiopia's internal affairs um and were accused in various ways of pr- providing support to the TPLF um support to you know, Tigray's government um and the TPLF has obviously been classified as a as a terrorist organization by the federal government that you know equally obviously has been denied by the, by the UN and we saw that very high profile sort of request from um the secretary general for the Ethiopian government to provide some some evidence of its allegations. And I should um, say you are referring to this really kind of dramatic moment at a security council meeting in which the Secretary General Guterres directly asked the Ethiopian representative for evidence uh, that his staff were, um, as you said, sort of supporting the TPLF in any uh, meaningful way after the Ethiopian government representative listed this like litany of, of of things that the UN was alleged to have done. And he kind of called him out for it. And you really kind of don't see these direct exchanges at a formal security council meeting like this very often. So it, it was something that was ex- very notable. And in fact, it was, it was that moment that inspired me to want to reach out to you for this interview. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, I think it you know, epitomizes just how bad um, relations have got between the Ethiopian government and and the international, you know, various elements of, of the international community, and obviously now including um, the UN and the, and the Secretary General. Um, I think you know, one of the ways that I've been trying to to uh, trying to ex- explain this or, or, or look at this, um, and clearly the position of the of the United Nations and, and those focused on humanitarian operations in in general um, is that. Regardless of the political disputes in Ethiopia, um, regardless really of the the security situation and the legalities, um, that there is an obligation um, for Ethiopia's government, um, the federal government, um, and and other governments, you know, the regional governments, to provide you know, unhindered um, unhindered aid, you know, humanitarian access um, to people in need. And of course, you know, there is something like. 400,000 people in famine conditions in Tigray um, and just huge numbers in need of assistance in Tigray, but also elsewhere. Um, That is not, it is not as simple as that for the Ethiopian government Um, and their resistance and their restrictions um, on humanitarian access and the federal government's refusal essentially to provide life-saving services to Tigray in the form of telecommunications, banking, and electricity. That is at the, you know, the crux um, of this dispute that led to the expulsions. Now, of course, the federal government is claiming um, at times that you know, the Tigray forces, the TPLF, um, are responsible for the obstructions to aid. But there has been plenty of evidence provided um, by you know the WFP, a UN agency, by UN OCHA, by you know, other humanitarian actors that in fact um, 
this very insufficient flow of aid to Tigray. You know, there should be something like 100 trucks per day um, to provide for the needs there. Um, that is due to uh, you know, largely bureaucratic impediments put in place by the federal government and its and its um, and the regional government. Just to emphasize, it's just something that you hear repeated from exasperated UN humanitarian agencies that it is the Ethiopian federal government that is putting up these you know, bureaucratic roadblocks preventing aid from reaching troubled regions in Ethiopia. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I think they've been increasingly explicit. Um, and you know, for example, we had the US representative at the UNSC um, say that you know, that was potentially a war crime being mm-hmm. committed um, by, by the um, Ethiopian federal government, what, you know, what has been called a de facto federal blockade on Tigray. Now, because of the political circumstances, the legal circumstances, the military circumstances, the federal government you know, has its own justifications, but it is essentially this clash um, which, is, which is leading to this huge tension. Because as the United Nations and all of the other international actors um, they press the federal government to um, meet its international legal obligations to provide that aid and switch on those services. That is when the federal government and its supporters, they say that people are simply um, pushing the agenda of, of the TPLF. Now, it seems pretty clear to me that they're not. And it just so happens that you know, international humanitarian law um, and the federal government's obligations and the humanitarian imperative to prioritize lives in Tigray is, is what is driving the UN position. But it is true that, you know, that international position, as well as the call for inclusive negotiations and therefore the rehabilitation of the TPLF, you know, that, is, that is what is perceived as support for the TPLF by the federal government, when really it is just alignment on these humanitarian issues. So, so like the sort of humanitarian imperative to keep mm-hmm. people alive and fed in Tigray amidst a potential famine is perceived by the federal government to be giving material support to their enemies, the TPLF. Yes, exactly. And this is where, you know, I, I'm in the business of, of trying to make assessments and analysis, but you know, we can see plenty of um, incidents instances when the federal federal officials have talked about aid diversion. Um, and so, for example, you know, trucks and truck drivers went missing in Tigray recently, and there was a, a huge amount of, of clamor from the federal government side saying that you know, the TPLF had used those trucks for its war efforts. So it is pretty obvious um, that you know, concerns about aid diversion um, are one of the things that is driving this federal government policy. But that, of course, does not get round the fact that the federal government is therefore in breach of international humanitarian law. Um, and certainly it is perceived to be. And it's the same kind of issue with the services, um, certainly with the fuel issue. There was a huge fuel shortage in Tigray for the humanitarian um, operation. But, but of course, again, there are concerns that fuel will be used um, for the armed resistance. And I think you know, with, with the services, it's a similar argument. I mean, it's it's crippling the humanitarian operation not to have your know, telecoms and, and power, especially the medical um, facilities there. Uh, but because of the nature of this dispute between the federal government and what they consider to be a um, illegal um, reg- regional government, you know, from their eyes, you know, there is some justification not providing those services, but that is by no means um, how international law sees it and, and is not how the international system is seeing it. 
So I believe it was September 30th or thereabouts that uh, these UN staff were declared persona non grata or the the term of art in diplomacy. They were PNG'd is is the verb and ordered out of the country. Uh, In retrospect, uh, it seems, at least to me, that this was done deliberately in advance of this major new federal government offensive we have seen take hold in recent days. Uh, does that strike you as plausible? I don't really see um, the advantage for that um, from the from the federal leadership. Um, the formation of the new government had been... Um, had been promoted as a um, a moment when, or you know, a point in time when it was essentially impossible for the federal government to alter its policies mm-hmm. um, towards uh, Tigray. You know, it could not yeah. rehabilitate. It could not be conciliatory. Um, and we we were only a few days away from that. I mean, we haven't seen a change in policy, but I don't really see how it's useful to send out. Um, that sort of signal in advance. The other thing I would mention um, is, of course, that the Biden administration has put in place this executive order, um, which <clears throat> allows the US government to place targeted sanctions on um, any individuals who are thought to be, you know, essentially um, perpetuating mm-hmm. the conflict. Now, in Washington, there is something of a debate going on about just how hard to go with the sanctions, how quickly to move. And how wide to cast the net. By expelling seven UN officials, the federal government, they empowered um, the hawks in, in Washington who would be arguing for a tougher approach. That it's not obvious how that's in the interest. So it feels like you know, some of the dynamics of um, the positions that the UN officials were taking. We know the head of OCHA, Martin Griffiths, gave a very hard hitting interview. Mm-hmm. Antonio Guterres had got more critical. Ocha was regularly reporting about the de facto federal blockade, um, exposing the government um, who was trying to claim that it was the Tigray forces who were responsible. So because it's hard to establish, you know, how it makes a sort of strategic sense, the, the timing, you know, perhaps it was due to those, those other reasons that I just listed related to the operation and, and the conflict. So what then explains uh, this renewed offensive uh, by the federal government in Tigray? The the situation since the federal government left Tigray in in June, most of Tigray, the the military and the administrators, um, the Tigray forces after that, um, they sort of two weeks later, really, they said, well, we're not going to remain here and allow ourselves to be blockaded. So we're going to go on the offensive. They also said that to ensure Tigray's security, they needed to continue to weaken their opponents, so Ethiopia's federal military, Amhara forces, and the Eritrea military. That was another justification. They also had territory that they want to reclaim, notably in southern Tigray, which they've done, but also in western Tigray, that Amhara region has taken over and is supported by the federal and Eritrean governments. So yeah, that was the justification for the Tigrayan offensive. Um, they moved, they, they took territory in Afar, um, notably in northern Amhara region. That was essentially what occurred in July and August. Quite significant resistance built up in, um, towards the end of August and 
and, and beginning of September, and then there was something of a lull. All we're really seeing now is a renewed effort by the federal military and its allies to push those Tigray forces out of Amhara, um, out of Afar, back into Tigray, and ultimately to defeat them. And this offensive comes after continued belligerent and at times hateful rhetoric um, towards the TPLF and massive mobilization on the federal side, as well as the Tigray forces and leadership, um, according to, to them, they're re-strategizing, consolidating, absorbing new recruits and captured material. So um, it was also the rainy season was, was ending in September. So really, there was no particular surprise. Um, and the federal ambition is to push back those Tigray forces into, into Tigray region. And do you think they will be successful in that? Are they a more robust force than those that are currently in the Amara region? It's been difficult to to know what's going um, on in on, on the battlefield and, and to understand the sort of relative strength of the of the different belligerents. Um, I think what we know is that um, in terms of manpower, recently recruited manpower, um, the federal military and its allies have a, a significant advantage. Of course, they have the ability to purchase arms internationally and, and open supply lines. However, um, <coughs> we have seen, you know, considerable military success by the Tigray forces this year. Their commanders are hugely experienced. Um, there seems to be a prevalent, well, there seems to be a strong commitment um, from what is now said to be a very large um, Tigray force. People talk about hundreds of thousands. Um, there seems to be a very strong commitment um, to achieve their military goals. Um, they have captured this, this territory. Um, and so I think it could, you know, it, it's perfectly reasonable to think that there could be decisive um, military advantages gained on either side. Um, but also we, we might see, you know, something of a, a stalemate with sort of territory swapping hands in northern Amhara. Um, but, we, but perhaps we, you know, we won't see the, the Tigray forces, for example, reaching the Sudanese border or cutting the Djibouti road. And we might well not see in short order um, the federal military pushing Tigray forces back in, in into Tigray. So it's it's hard to tell, um, but I think that's the sort of the, the sort of the broad picture. So this renewed fighting, as you just described it, seems to come at this particularly calamitous moment on the humanitarian side of things. I mean, you earlier said that um, the UN officials were expelled not long after the head of UN OCHA, the uh, Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, gave this hard-hitting interview to Reuters in which he suggested uh, a widespread famine, what was about to befall the region on par with the 2011 Somalia famine, which killed uh, like a quarter million people. Uh, so we're talking about huge numbers of, of people at risk, just as at the same moment as UN humanitarian officials have been expelled, as uh, NGO officials have been expelled, or NGOs have, have been uh, no longer allowed to operate in the area, and just as this, this offensive uh, mounts. What are you hearing from people on the ground in terms of the humanitarian situation in these affected regions? Nothing reassuring. Um, I think it's you know, obviously it's still hard to get information out of, of Tigray, I think, because of those fuel telecoms, uh, power outages and shortages, it's also difficult for people to make assessments on the ground. Um, but I think, as you note, um, this renewed fighting, although 
um, perhaps the, the Tigray leadership has the objective of overcoming the blockade. Well, that is quite a long-term goal, um, potentially, but the crisis is, is short-term. Um, and as the fighting continues, the roads will stay closed. Um, there will be little pressure internally on the federal government to relax its stance, um, certainly not to restore the services, for example. It will be very hard for the roads to open up through Amhara region, um, whether because of closure by Amhara elements or whether due to active fighting. Um, so it does have the potential to exacerbate um, the, the, the humanitarian situation. And we should also note in terms of the bigger picture here, you know, I was been talking, we've been talking about this de facto blockade. It was a de facto blockade, an encirclement of Tigray that occurred in the first couple of months of the war. Um, when, the, you know, when the federal, certainly the first month when, when the federal forces went in. Um, the, the, the point here is that this has been going on for quite a long time now. Um, it has massively affected um, the Tigray economy. There's been you know, destruction um, of, of factories, but also the banking system, for example, has been crippled. Um, there has been very short electricity supply. Um, agricultural production has been you know, massively impacted. You know, perhaps yields could be you know, something like a quarter of normal. And now we are back in a situation where there is something like a de facto a blockade on the region, trade, aid, and, and, and those vital services. So obviously the concern is here is that this is an ongoing and continuing crisis. And at some point, um, it could um, exponentially in, increase as, as famines do. Um, there are already reports of, of, of daily, you know, hundreds of, of deaths of people from starvation-related diseases and, and, and these types of problems. There is a huge shortage of, of medical supplies. Um, so there is every reason to be very fearful that the, 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 the humanitarian situation, the food emergency is, is about to get uh, significantly worse, just as you know, Martin Griffiths was, was warning in that, in that interview. So you referenced earlier this uh, decision or executive order by the Biden administration threatening to impose sanctions on individuals in Ethiopia who are exacerbating the the crisis. And you know, it was sort of like a weirdly framed and weirdly stated uh, executive order. It was just they didn't actually impose sanctions. They said that we are going to impose sanctions if you continue like all, you know, like the 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 sanctions orders are already written. We just have to sign them sort of thing. It seemed to be at least read to me as one last warning. Um, what other kind of external pressure might be brought on the parties at this point to, if not sort of compel them to the negotiating table, which doesn't seem likely, but at the very least uh, enable uh, more robust humanitarian access to affected regions? Well, that has proved really difficult so far, Mark. And I think that's what has led to this continuing sort of ratcheting up of the pressure from the U.S., um, I think you know, the various sort of exhortations um, for, um, for the parties to, to adopt different policies, uh, prioritize the humanitarian situation, they just have not impacted the calculations um, of the key protagonists here. Um, and I mean, I think the sad truth is at the moment, you know, there is no reason to think that, um, that those calculations are going to change. You know, for example, um, I think the, the positioning that Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has taken, you know, in addition to his 
um, you know, the, the, the conflict that, that he is involved in, that the, the struggle that he is involved in with the, the, the TPLF. Um, it is also perceived that if Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed was to take a accommodating stance suddenly um, towards the TPLF, which of course, you know, the federal parliament is classified as a terrorist organization, that would lead to a loss in support for the prime minister, particularly from Amhara region. Um, and I think, you know, the prime minister also sees the, 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 the TPLF and the Tigray forces as a, you know, as a genuine threat um, to his leadership, similar sort of considerations for President Isaias Afwerki in, in Eritrea. Um, then we have issues like this Western Tigray territorial dispute. Um, there is no way that the Amhara leadership is going to give up on that land, which they had been you know, trying to regain, essentially, um, or at least campaigning for, for decades. Um, they said it was you know, illegally annexed by the TPLF. And likewise, um, the Tigray leadership and commanders, well, they are not about to give up on their goals to you know, restore Tigray's pre-war borders, for example. They are not about to give up on, on their efforts to not remain passive, whilst the de facto this de facto federal blockade is, is placed upon Tigray during a humanitarian emergency. So the, the difficult thing about pressure is, is altering those calculations. And it doesn't matter whether you're the Secretary General or the President of Asanjo, the new um, African Union envoy for the region. Um, or the former Feltman, Nigerian yes, uh, president. The, the former Nigerian, or, or Jeffrey Feltman. You know, every, everyone is saying the same thing, um, but it just hasn't made a dent in these, in, in these calculations. Now, I don't want to be too negative, but you know, perhaps you know, things have to kind of get worse before they get better. We are in a new phase of fighting here. Um, but could we soon get to a point um, where perhaps this war and its sort of attendant economic effects, plus the rising insecurity in Oromia, is that going to make the federal leadership or mm. others you know, place pressure on the federal leadership to change course here? Might the Tigray leadership and commanders find themselves in a more disadvantageous military situation that allows them, that, that, that forces them to take a more accommodating, accommodating approach in terms of negotiations um, in order to prioritize that humanitarian relief operation inside Tigray? Um, it doesn't necessarily look like any of these things are going to happen tomorrow, but you know, we have to hold out hope that, that soon these calculations will, will change. Uh, so those are are the kind of near term inflection points that you'll be watching that will help you determine how this crisis plays out over the next several weeks and months. Tragically, yes. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there is, you know, of course, there's conversations um, about you know, what what could be the best way to sequence um, a de-escalation. You know, could the Tigray forces agree to retreat um, or at least pause their offensive and return? Um, for the federal government, taking a different approach, maybe in terms of those life-saving services? Um, is there some sort of quid pro quo in terms of your Amhara withdrawal and, and Tigray withdrawal um, from their respective regions? Um, there is the Obasanjo initiative. You know, is he going to come up with some sort of plan? Um, there, there, is, there, is, there are issues to, to look at and discuss there. Um, for those who are so concerned, whether inside Ethiopia or outside. But, but tragically, it does look like now is not the opportune moment for sort of diplomatic pressure to work. Um, and then I think it's a question of 
international actors and Ethiopian actors who want to see um, a peace process underway, looking ahead, working out where could be the opportune moments, the entry point, so to speak, um, for um, you know, some sort of intervention that, that, that could find the parties more receptive to it. And, and of course, Mark, there is also the, you know, massive questions, not just over that Oromia insurgency and the Oromo Liberation Army, but also Ethiopia's overall economic situation. Food inflation is at 43%. Um, there is a debt crisis, a foreign exchange shortage. Um, so there is always the prospect of this getting worse. Um, we see various sort of punitive economic measures being put in place. So on the one hand, there is a grave risk that we could see you know, more rapid deterioration because of that. But also, could that deteriorating economic situation convince more people in Ethiopia um, to put pressure on their respective leaders and, and try and get them to find you know, a, a peaceful and, and, and conciliatory path forward here? And just uh, in case people aren't aware, Oromia is another uh, region of Ethiopia in which there has been some restive activity, I suppose you could say, over the last several months. Yes, and it's, 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 you know, it's qualitatively different to the, um, the, the, you know, the regional federal government civil war between, between Tigray and the federal government, because this is a rebellion. Um, it is the Oromo Liberation Army. Um, it is a group that has... You know, a long time ago, really given up on peaceful politics, um, as more and more Oromo nationalist opposition parties have considered themselves excluded from the political process um, over, over the past year or so, the Oromo Liberation Army seems to have gained in strength. Um, and al although it is not as formidable and as organized a force as that of the Tigray um, armed movement, it is growing in strength. It is um, you know, causing massive problems for the regional and federal security forces. It is taking over territory. It is interrupting economic activity in terms of product, agricultural production and, and, and trade routes um, in Oromia, which is you know, the absolute core of, of Ethiopia, a you know, major um, source of, of, of agricultural um, production and, and you know, the, the region that encircles Addis Ababa. Um, and has been a hotbed of anti-government resistance. And indeed, you know, it was protests in Oromia that, that really brought um, Abiy to power uh, to a large degree at the, at the expense of the TPLF. So that is a simmering situation already causing problems, um, which could well kind of exacerbate this overall crisis. I leave there just because it seems like a, an important demonstration of how conflict in one region, you know, contributes to broader instability throughout the country. And it just seems that this is a crisis that is not getting better anytime soon. But I, I do appreciate you taking the time to explain to me and, and to listeners uh, where things stand now and where they may, may be headed in the near future. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mark. It, it does look rather rather bleak. Of course, you know, politics is is very unpredictable. Things can change overnight, and you know, we do hold out hope that things will get better. But I also think it's entirely justified to you know, to be kind of. Pretty, pretty, pretty concerned and, and about the situation. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. All right. Big thank you to William Davison. That was very helpful. And as I mentioned at the outset, I do recommend that you check out previous episodes on this conflict in Ethiopia, where we get more deep into the roots and origins of the fighting. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.